Perry might be muted. Yep, you definitely are. I hope you asked a good question. Still can't hear you. Oh, this is challenging. It's muted. Um, so sorry about that. And then it wasn't a good question. So sorry to disappoint you there. But basically, last bye week, you weren't completely available. You still got the chance, you know, observe a little bit. What's the different kind of energy this bye week and between last? And then as a little bit side question, did you see any cool tattoos this weekend? All right. Definitely a terrible question, Perry. Welcome to the Seminole Wrap, a podcast about all things Florida State. I'm Juan Montalvo, and we've got a great show for you tonight. We've got Kevin Little. He's going to be talking about Florida State's scheme against Pittsburgh. We have him discussing Pat Narduzzi and his defense, as well as the Pittsburgh offense under Mark Whipple, who some of you may remember as the offense coordinator for Miami, who helped coach the illustrious Corey Harris. Later in the show, we're going to have for you Austin Cox, he is one of our great uh, reporters. He covers Florida State. He goes to all the press conferences. We're going to talk a little bit about what Mike Norvell, Kenny Dillingham, and Adam Fuller has said about the Florida State team this week. We're going to get into that and more on tonight's Seminole Wrap. So joining us now is Kevin Little of Triple Option and the Four Verticals podcast. He has his X's and Knowles channel on YouTube. You guys by now know him quite well. He's joined us for several of the previews here on Seminole Rap for, for the games. Normally we pair him with the illustrious Adam Brown, but the Della Warrior is not here for us this evening. So we have Kevin tonight for you, and he's going to be previewing both the, the Pittsburgh offense and defense, talking a little bit about how Four State matches up, what Pat Narduzzi and Kenny Pickett and the boys do on the, on their, their team there in Pittsburgh. And uh, Kevin, how you doing tonight? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Uh, I ended up having to interrupt a session of watching the amazing race to watch this. <laughs> so we're going to make this extremely brief, just three hours. And then from there, I'll get back to the amazing race. Just get back on it. Exactly. <laughs> so starting with the amazing race, um, one thing that we know is not the most amazing thing in the world is the scheme that that, that uh, Pittsburgh runs on offense. So the offense coordinator is Mark Whipple. Some Florida State fans may remember him as previously the coach of the UMass Minutemen, as well as the coach of the Miami Hurricanes under when they had Ja'Cory Harris previously as well with the Pittsburgh Steelers at the early Ben, ben Roethlisberger years. So why don't you tell us a little bit about them, Kevin, in terms of what they do on offense, uh, what Mark Whipple does uh, for Pittsburgh? Yeah, so Whipple's a, of course, he's a pro style guy. He was in the pros for a while at Cleveland and also at uh, Pittsburgh. He actually coached Ben Roethlisberger, so I, I think he's been able to make a whole career off of that little statement. But basically, uh, what pro style means nowadays is that they're not afraid to go under center a few times a game. They're not afraid to go into more spread looks. They're going to really try to vary out their formations, use a lot of pre-snap motions and uh, stuff like that. Their running game is mostly zone-based, so lots of zone runs, but they will run some powers and stuff. Um, what Mark Whipple really brags about when he talks about his offense is just how many plays they put in and how many formations they have and just how diverse their their whole offense is. And that could be a good thing, but also these kids aren't being paid millions of dollars to play football. Yeah, I mean, one thing that, that was sort of a 
complained about uh, Jimbo Fisher that 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 got talked about is like okay maybe there's too much scheme focus or too much time po- focused on certain plays that sort of thing um, sort of an old school mentality way to approach NCAA college football which limits you to 20 practice hours a week whereas the NFL basically those guys live in film rooms if they're not practicing on the field um, so that pro style offense where you have tons of different plays tons of different formations may not necessarily be I think modern would be the correct word. Um, Mm -hmm. Now, one other question is how much of the modern types of, of, uh, of football are we seeing Mark Whipple bring into Pittsburgh? Obviously Kenny Pickett is not a guy who's going to be coming in and, you know, he's, he's not Johnny Manziel or, or even or Jordan Travis. He's not, going to be your RPO run the ball sort of guy, but uh, has there been anything, you know, RPO type type plays or anything that Mark Whipple's put in with that team? Um, So you occasionally see some RPOs and I think the offense was a lot more dynamic under Kenny Pickett, who was their normal starting quarterback. He got hurt playing against Miami um, and he's been out ever since. That's a big loss for them. Their offense was actually serviceable with Kenny Pickett. And I think a lot of that reason, a lot of the reason is because, he had escapability. He could get out of the pocket. He could extend plays. Um, this is actually a criticism Whipple's had his whole coaching career that he calls these routes that are way too long, like way too slow to develop. And he kind of puts his quarterbacks on an island. Um, and so you, you'll see them a lot of times just sit back in the pocket waiting for people to get open. Kenny Pickett was able to get out of the pocket if things collapsed, but their backup quarterback, Joey Yellen, has yet to really find that. And I think he's probably a little bit too slow to find it. Yeah, and obviously we're we're going to see come Saturday. tonight. We're recording on Wednesday night. Um, we're learning throughout the week. It sounds like Kenny Pickett probably isn't going to be available. It may be touch and go. Um, I guess it's, we're, we're going to find out on Saturday if he plays at all, but I would imagine his mobility will be limited for that. Um, sort of already discussed the quarterbacks, but let's, let's, I guess before we move on to any other position, um, what would, what if Kenny Pickett is healthy enough to play with a relatively limited scramble ability, what do you see in him that could, could frustrate the Florida state defense? Well, Florida state's already shown, throughout the season that the linebackers are slow to get in pass coverage or to get into run fit. So just having that dynamic quarterback make them really question uh, where they need to be and how they need to, how they need to fill gaps or how they need to be out in space um, is big. I think Louisville was able to take advantage of that a little bit with Malik Cunningham, who's just an excellent running quarterback and Louisville did a good job of getting him out in space. And I think Florida state linebackers just really struggle with space. And so Kenny Pickett kind of makes that space for them that they otherwise don't have. And that's going to be a critical thing for them. If he's available. Um, one thing that that's important to note is, is their running game. You, can you talk about that a little bit? Uh I tried to find it on film, but I couldn't. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I was going to sort of get to that. Like, okay, how do you, how do you ask about a running game that kind of doesn't exist? I mean, they're, (laughs) they've been pretty ineffective running the ball. I mean, obviously they're a zone based running team, um, but they, they really haven't had a lot of success running the ball. That being said, who are the guys to look at when they do, or, or is there a dynamic playmaker in the backfield that Florida state fans should be worried about any of that sort of thing? 
Um, so their starting running back is a guy named Vincent Davis. Uh, he's okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> they don't like to run the ball a lot. He's not he's not really good enough to bail out their offensive line, who's not very good. So um, I, their running game isn't something I would be terribly concerned about, and it might make our linebackers look better knowing they don't have to worry about it. Um, the the problem one of the big problems I saw with watching them on film is the fact that it feels like they telegraph their runs a lot of times. Like I think Whipple will line up into a an under center formation and you know, they're going to run the ball like nine times out of 10 and it just makes them really predictable. So let's say for example, even if they're under center, you don't see a lot of like boot action, even when Kenny Pickett's healthy, for example, uh, you might've seen it more with Kenny Pickett. I didn't see it much with uh, Joey Yellen and cause I tried to focus on the last few games. Um, but it it just it, it it was pretty predictable. I found they they'll sometimes do a little condensed formations, and you almost always know they're going to run a stick route, which is just just a short little passing concept out of it. Like if I'm sitting here noticing trends and how they call plays, you can bet that these Division One defensive coordinators are picking up on these things. Yeah, obviously when. And, and that's no offense to you or me or any of the guys who do some of the film analysis, but when there's trends that you can pick up pretty, pretty frequently, it's always a surprise if, if there's a defensive coordinator out there who can't pick it up. Um, <laughs> so uh, on the positive side, you know, that's there's, they don't have a whole heck of a lot going for them, especially without Kenny Pickett on that side of the ball yep. with an offensive line. That's not that great. Um what about their their pass catchers, tight ends, receivers, anybody in that group who's good enough to take the top off the defense? Any quick players, any good players in space, that sort of thing. Uh, so you can just say no if you want. Last to. last time I checked, they were number one in the country in dropped passes. So uh, that's not a good sign for their athletes out in space. Um, Florida State gave them a run at it during the Louisville game. <laughs> yeah, we we tried to challenge a challenge a crown in one game, but uh, I think they still have it pretty handedly. Uh, I watched them play Syracuse, and it was like every passing play was a drop pass because neither one of those teams can catch a football. Well, it's a good thing uh, that 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 we don't play Syracuse for t- television reasons, I suppose. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, obviously. There's not a whole heck of a lot more to talk about with that team on offense. Um, they're yeah, you know, let's move on. Somewhat, <laughs> it's a somewhat predictable offense. Uh, they they run a pro style offense. They're zone based. Um, I guess before we move completely on, um, is there anything about their their pass concepts or passing game, or is it just just sort of what you'd expect from a typical pro style type offense? Yeah, it, it is pro style. So you kind of lose out on those RPOs that you tend to see every other team start running. Um, you don't even see them run mesh very often, which is probably the most common pl- passing play I've seen in college football this year. Uh, it, for, for whatever reason, mesh has been very popular. Um, they will run occasionally some like short, shallow routes, but for the most part, they're trying to hit the deep ball almost every play. And so uh, that either works for them or it really doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not altogether that dissimilar from what Florida State fans have seen from Mark Whipple when he was at Miami. Yep. Um, under Ja'Cory Harris, you know, Ja'Cory Harris was sort of known for his uh, arm punts. 
Um, and, uh, you know, I don't think Joe Yellen or Kenny Pickett are quite as inaccurate as he is or poor decision making as he was. But um, I guess there's there's really not a lot modern or new that you can expect from that side of the ball. Would that be correct? No, I mean, when, when you have a defensive head coach, you can almost expect that they're going to, for some reason, keep some sort of pro style offensive coordinator around. I don't know why, but they do just one of those things and on that note <laughs> let's talk about the head coach um obviously pat narduzzi is has been a pit for i think this is a sixth year now he started there in 2015 his background was as the de- defensive coordinator for michigan state under mark d'antonio um I, I don't believe he was there in the saving years but he definitely follows the uh mark d'antonio school of defense why don't you tell us a little bit about the general scheme that pittsburgh runs yeah, so uh, they run a what's called a match quarters zone, um, or it's kind of a zone man hybrid. So quarters just means there's four deep defenders at any one point in time. Um, so you have your two safeties and your two corners. A lot of times with teams nowadays and uh, playing uh, spread offenses, you see them roll up a safety in the box for extra run support. Pitt doesn't. They keep two deep safeties, but instead of running a cover two, they run a cover four. So that kind of allows the safeties to play a little bit shallower and be more involved in the running game. Um, and they, it's not like a zone as you would think about it, where you find a spot and drop to it. Uh, they have specific keys that they read. So for example, the cornerback is keying the outside receiver. If he goes downfield and into the into the deep zone he'll follow him like it's man coverage and so on film it'll look like man coverage but it's really not it's a match zone um because you can tell when that guy cuts inside or stays short the cornerback keeps dropping and looks for someone else to to cover so it's it's a really good defense in the sense that it allows it gives a strict rules um for the players to uh be able to play zone, but be able to find a man within the zone relatively easily. And you, you don't see a lot of people just kind of floating in space like we did, well, like we have over the past few years on our defenses. That's actually a really good transition because this match quarters scheme that you're talking about, um, Florida State fans who read Tomahawk Nation are going to be f- pretty familiar with the general concept of, of match quarters. Uh the previous defensive coordinator, Harlan Barnett, was under under Pat Narduzzi and under uh, Mark D'Antonio at Michigan State. He was elevated when Pat Narduzzi left, became a co-defensive coordinator after being defensive backs and I think safeties coach when they moved to 10 coaches a couple of years ago. Um, and so that was sort of what Florida State was trying to play over the years. And then it or the two years that Willie Taggart was at Florida State, obviously it didn't work out quite well. Um, whether that has to do with interference from the head coach or poor coaching from the defensive coach coaches is up for debate. Um, long story short, it wasn't successful at Florida state. Uh, how well does Pittsburgh execute that scheme? Because we've seen Florida state attempt to not do well with it. And obviously Pittsburgh doesn't have quite the athletes in the, in the defensive backfield that Florida state does. So I guess the question boils down to, how well does Pittsburgh execute that match quarters type scheme? 
Yeah, I, w- I would say that their linebackers are a lot better than any linebackers we've had probably in the past five or six years. And that makes well, a huge no difference. surprise. <laughs> um, but no, they, they run it really well. They're, if you look at their stats, they're one of the best rush defenses in the country. Um, it's really hard to run on them. And part of that has to do with scheme. Part of that has to do with the fact that in one high safety coverages, you only get one extra safety in the box. But but in too high safety, you can potentially have both guys coming down. But a lot of it also has to do with just the talent they have across the line. Um, if you just want to focus on one person, Rashad Weaver is their defensive end. Um, he's good enough that most teams are just going to double team him all game and he won't seem like he's standing out, but the, the kid's a stud. Yeah, Rashad Weaver was a guy who was putting on a lot of the all ACC watch lists, preseason ACC I think second team, I think he was behind Roach, Phillips, those sort of guys, but mm-hmm. um, he's clearly a very talented guy that Florida State's going to try to scheme around. Um, before we go position by position, how do you think Florida State is going to approach playing against the, 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 the match quarters defense of Pittsburgh? Uh, so there are two two ways I really like to challenge. I, if I was an offensive coordinator, I would want to challenge this defense with. And uh, this is just a little plug for myself. I'm com- I'm releasing a video sometime around the time this podcast is released, and I can show these things on film a little bit better. But just a, a, a little insight on how I would scheme around it. Um, the first is to just spread them out. Uh, those safeties have to key the number two receiver. So that's the second receiver in. Um, so if you spread that number two receiver out way to the sideline, that means they now no longer have safeties in the middle of the field. Um, Miami did this for two touchdowns against them. They just did a really widespread out formation and then ran either a tight end or a running back right down the field. And there was no one to defend them. I think that's genius. It was, it was a great idea. Um, the other thing I would do is, run trips so if if you have trips to one side uh that means now the backside safety so the safety on the one receiver side has to be watching um the receiver the number three receiver on the other side of the field and so that means if you run away from your trips so run towards the one receiver side that safety most likely is going to be vacating running towards that running towards the the third receiver on the other side. And so you kind of get an advantage where there's no secondary help in the running game if you're able to do that. So those are two ways I saw teams trying to leverage their defense. So to simplify what you're saying is, and and I think it's actually something that we've seen Florida State do both of a little bit throughout the year on the offensive side of the ball, is either spread those two, those two uh, safeties that are in cover four, spread them out wide using – two-by-two type formations um, as wide as you can get it, Candle Barrile style, you know, wide of the numbers if at all possible, or using uh, overload formations to one side effectively. So we've seen Florida State do a little bit of both of those, Uh, not necessarily to the receiver splits in terms of how wide they are as much as we saw during Candle Barrile's, but you definitely have seen a lot of the nub trips that nub means the closed tight end on one side of the ball which means there's no one outside of the tight end and then trips to the other side of him um i imagine you think we're going to see a lot of that come saturday yeah i think that's going to be the thing to watch out for um i 
Norvell likes his tight ends. Uh, usually there's a different check when they're in their cover four uh, and there's a nub tight end. They'll, they'll go more to a cover two look on the short side, on the nub side, um, kind of bring that corner down into the run fits uh, and have the safety on the tight end because they're not as worried about the deep route from the tight end and trips. Um, so it'd be interesting to see uh, so you, you kind of lose that running advantage to the to the nub side that you would normally have, uh, but you still get a tight end lined up on a corner. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Norvell try to attack that and try to do something very similar to what he's always seems to do, which is to try unbalanced looks t- to get an advantage. Let's sort of keep on that. Um, one thing I think that you could probably, and you know, let me, let me know your thoughts on this, that you could probably go to if you're trying to game plan against that, knowing that they're going to try to take away, not necessarily take away, but move towards a cover two type look, use that corner to cover the safety. Or I'm sorry, cover the tight end. Um, I think the, the offense, they can use a little bit of motion to sort of get those guys out of that. Would you agree with that? Yeah. So you send a, yeah, that's a great idea. You know, you send that number three receiver back over to the or even a running end, back, or or even a running back out wide, and it forces that corner to leave. Um, yeah, that'd be really interesting because now you have uh, six linemen, Jordan Travis, who's essentially a running back, and that that corner had to vacate. So um, it would probably mess with their their coverages a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, and so obviously, you know, the coaches, coaches on both sides of the ball, Pittsburgh and Florida State, are thinking about this in a lot deeper terms than we are. But <laughs> yeah. uh, it, this just sort of illustrates the chess match that you're talking about with, you know, the both sides of the ball. I think it's going to be an interesting matchup just because there's a lot of opportunities that Florida State will will go for. Um, and so I, I think we should move on to talking about the individual units. Let's go back to front. Um, obviously, match quarters is the focus of what what Pittsburgh does. Uh, let's talk safeties first. How how are their how's their safety play generally speaking? Um, are those guys that you know traditionally in in the Narduzzi, D'Antonio, uh, very small parentheses Barnett uh, match quarters defense safeties are considered almost like the quarterbacks. They're very important in that game. Yep. Um, how are those guys? How, what's their strengths? Uh, what do they do well? What do they do poorly? Yeah, so their big guy at safety is uh, Paris Ford. And he's yeah. injured for this game. Right. He's he's not right, playing no, this he, game. I think yeah, he, he opted, opted out, out. Right. Yeah. Um, so they lost their. Is he their best safety? Uh, yeah. Him and Hamlin, uh, DeMar Hamlin are like their two starting safeties and they get almost every snap. So it's like really hard to tell uh, how their backup safeties look. You know, um, there's this guy called Brandon Hill that comes in every once in a while. But one, one thing that uh, one of our, one of our guys in Tom Hawk nation noted uh, our Rob Hodges was talking about this is that Paris Ford is, I think a pretty good chunk of most of their tackles and tackles for loss. So his opt-out, which was just this past week, is how important do you think that is for Florida State? Oh, it's huge. Like, um, if, if you watch them, they're one of the best teams in the country that I've seen in stopping quick game or bubble screens, so screens out to the wide receivers. And it's mostly because they always have that overhang safety. They always have that second safety that's there and ready to pounce. And their safeties are... 
uh, we've got like a buck safety and our, our bandit, whatever you want to call them, um, in fuller scheme, that's going to be this bigger, harder hitting safety. Both of their safeties are, are kind of in that mold. And so they both want to come up. They both want to make a play. And usually more times than not, it's Paris Ford making that big play. And so it'll be interesting to see how their backup safety wants to fill those holes. See if, if we can take advantage of that. So, Continuing on with the safeties, match quarters does put those guys into man coverage at times, you know, particularly mm-hmm. when the number two, the second receiver inside runs a vertical route. For example, um, one thing that, you know, Florida State likes to run Cam McDonald into some vertical routes, some seam routes, some 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 in-breaking routes. Uh, how, how do they match up in pass coverage? Uh, so th- they do a good job. They do an okay job. Uh, Notre Dame was able to take advantage with some bigger tight ends over the middle. Um, and they're asking to be in man coverage. So they're, they're put on islands a lot. I think against normal teams, they look pretty good. But Notre Dame was able, just just has really good tight ends. And they, they just couldn't man up on them all game. I would imagine that's a lot of what sort of the Miami success against them was um, oh, yeah. Miami obviously has two NFL level tight ends. Brevin Jordan is, you can, I, I wouldn't even classify him almost as a tight end. He's, he's almost like a Gronkowski type guy that you can flex him out into the slot and yep. barely notice that he's even a tight end. Um, so those safeties, you know, those are, those, those are, those are players that Florida state needs to watch out for, especially in the run game. Mm-hmm. Um what about the the cornerbacks, the guys on the outside? Um, do they play a lot of five five man packages, four man packages? So the twofold question here: the first part is how do the general the, the the main two cornerbacks look overall, and as well as their nickel corner? Uh, so they do have a little bit of a they they tend to run a little bit heavier of packages um, because they can get away with it. Um, having that safety really take responsibility for any sort of um, deeper route by the by the slot receiver, um, and they've got they've got a couple of decent linebackers. And really, what's nice about the scheme when it's ran effectively is how free the linebackers can play <coughs> and how aggressive they can be. Um, so uh, there's there's no one linebacker that I've seen that really like stands out on tape. Um, they've got a few starters that look look good, but uh, they're kind of a, a pursuit defense. You just got people running around, and um, you'll see four or five people making a tackle. I guess it all sort of goes back to the safeties. They're gonna they're gonna help out and virtually virtually all that. Right. That's personally speaking. Here, I mean, I'm I'm a big fan of the match quarters defense. I think it's it's. I, I, I don't know if the word is superior to the Ripley's type type three 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 base type uh, middle of field close type type stuff that Saban runs, but I think it's a really good general scheme. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, the that second level with those those linebackers and and cornerbacks, where do you think that Florida State can find matchups that can be exploited? Yeah, I think. I think you have to have big games by your number one receiver. Um, so you have to have Terry step up because they're asking to be put in man coverage on the outside, and you have to beat that. You if if you want to beat Pitt, you have to be able to beat that man coverage. Yeah, um, 
I I think you you want to see uh, Cameron McDonald step up and as the tight end and really have a good game against some of these bigger safeties or against these safeties as a bigger guy. And uh, I think that's really where you need your, your bread and butter needs to be. You're going to need to challenge this team through the air on some level because otherwise these safeties are going to be in your run game all day. Sounds like one thing. And and these are concepts that we know Norvell likes to run like flood concepts those mm-hmm. seem like things that are going to be really good for Florida State because it's going to pull one of those safeties out and then sort of put a corner on an island. And just let me know if you, your thoughts on that. But if we if we see a lot of flood concepts from Florida State throughout the year, where do you think we're going to see more through this game? Yeah. So you see a ton of flood like concepts, and usually you're not even looking towards the the number one receiver in that situation. So if you imagine a cover four scenario where um, the outside receiver runs off the number one receiver and then the, the number two receiver, or sorry, the outside receiver runs off the corner, the number two receiver has a little out route. Um, there's no one there. And so uh, it really stresses those outside linebackers to try to get depth and width. And it makes it so that those safeties now have to have to crash hard and try to get those out routes. So I, I would expect to see several of those just when we need an easy completion, uh, just a little out route by the inside receiver um, for, for just a few easy yards. So I would imagine a lot of those wide side of the field, high, low type reads, yep. flood, sales, smash. Um, those all seem like they'd be good candidates to sort of, sort of try to try to get these guys a little bit out of out of their their out, out of where they want to be yep yeah i i think so and then whenever you're playing a a cover four team you're gonna want to try to run mills concept at some point in time uh and so before we get too further deep into the weeds <laughs> uh let's go let's go short short like one sentence uh explanations of each concept flood sale smash uh, mills. Can you sort of give an idea of what those are for everybody out there? Yeah. So when you break down passing and, plays and, and what they do to the defense, <laughs> uh, when you break down passing plays, there's really three different types uh, mainly. So, I mean, other than screens, so you have your horizontal stretches, you have your vertical stretches and you have your, your triangle type plays. Um, so all of the plays that we listed are, are vertical stretches. So, uh, if you imagine a cover four compared to a cover three or a cover two, uh, a cover four, you basically have four defenders all at the same level. So what you want to do is you want to challenge them uh, by stretching them out vertically because that breaks up their their kind of homogenous line of defenders. So with flood, you have a, a vertical and an out route. So the vertical is deep and the out route's a little bit shorter. And so it stresses that, that cornerback. Um, it the the smash concept it's the same is, I suppose it's a similar idea but instead of a vertical you have a hitch and instead of a out route you have more of a, a corner route so uh, both both ways you're trying to stretch the the corner vertically right he can't make a right decision he either has to come up and get the shorter route or go back and get the deeper route um, the mills concept is the same idea 
but it's against the safety. So uh, you have someone running kind of towards the, in the middle of the field on an in route, uh, otherwise known as a dig route. Then you have someone running behind them. So the safety has to either decide to cover the guy running across the middle of the field or the guy running deep down the middle of the field. And so just a lot of these vertical stretches and Norvell already likes to run them. So you're, you're more, more likely to see them in this game. Yeah, and to give a little context to to some of the, the listeners out there, the Mills concept is something that was originally called – it's called Mills because Steve Spurrier had a receiver, and I don't remember if it's at, at Duke or if it was at Florida, but he had a receiver called Mills, and that was the guy that they tried to basically get open on those that, that post-dig concept. Yep. And so those are concepts that are all – vertical stretches and give the opportunity to split cover two was back was more in vogue at that time and now cover four is more common um and so i think i think we did a pretty good job explaining what those are yeah it's hard to do on on a podcast but yeah kevin does a great job with the videos on the x's and Knowles youtube channel um you know i know that you're i don't know if you've done the video yet or if you're going to do it but if you want to throw one or two of those in there and show how they can help bust up cover four, I feel like uh, everyone would appreciate that. Yeah, I actually, um, so I, I want to tag this one. I, I made a video that was not really Florida state related over the summer, but uh, it was just on the evolution of the modern passing game where I go into some of these concepts a little bit deeper. Uh, so look me up on YouTube. If you, if that was interesting to you and you want to see what it looks like in person, I've got like a whole eight minute video just talking about that kind of stuff. Yeah. And for everyone out there, we're going to make sure that's linked in the the page on Tomahawk nation that we put for this particular, uh, for this particular podcast. So check that out on tomahawknation.com and we'll link that video from Kevin. Um, you know, we're talking about the past game for Florida state quite a bit and what they can do against Pitt's past defense. Where do you think Jordan Travis is best suited to attack them in terms of passing the ball? Obviously, you know, we know him as a very good running quarterback, but from what you've seen of him as a passer, where do you think he's going to be best suited attacking them? Yeah, so you're going to want to look to the middle of the field. Um, uh, When you see a cover four, your first instinct is to attack the flats because the corners are bailing out and there's no one in that area where the corners were. Um, but they do a really good job of covering screens. And if you want to run, if you want to run passes to the flats all game, they're going to adjust and they're going to take advantage of Jordan Travis, who's got a little bit weaker of an arm. Um, so you want to make the passes as easy as possible. Again, go maybe go back to like that Mills concept on a play action or something, um, and just try to get an easy pass over their heads. Uh, that that's kind of where I would be looking. Now, one thing that you know, going back into if you or I were game planning against pitch defense on this, one thing that I would think of against a, a very cover four based defense that plays a lot of match quarters is trying to suck those guys out wide with 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 rollouts. Uh, half field type reads uh, where do you think Florida State can find success doing those sort of things yeah you, you have to get someone like Jordan Travis out on the run and um, taking advantage of these safeties who want to come up and fill fill in the running game um, that, that's, a, that's a great thing to try to do that's a, that's a great point um, and I think it, it can be doubly effective against a team like this. That's not going to have a deep safety. That's uh, more concerned about contain, but they have two safeties that have more of a dual role. 
Yeah, so when you see those guys who have that dual role and you're a team like Florida State who knows that you have a very effective runner at quarterback, um, some of those high-low stretches that we're talking about, the smash, the flood, those things can be made all the more effective when paired with the running back running towards that same half of the field because it stretch, stresses them e- even more. Would you agree with that? Or Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, so – at the end of this podcast, both Kevin and I will be calling plays for Florida State. Yeah, that's that's the goal. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're we're really only doing this podcast for the exposure to the Florida State coaches. So, listen to us and then hire us, right? Yeah, Mike, if you're if you're listening to this, I'll take a GA role. Um, you know, it, it probably pays better than grad school. So, you know. <laughs> There you go. Uh, now, going to the other side of the offense, running the ball, um, obviously against the match quarters defense, you're going to see a lot of shallow quarters. You're going to have those two safeties a little bit further down in the box, uh, being able to to fill into the run game quicker. Where is it that Florida State can exploit that? Uh, you know, Jordan Travis obviously is going to do a lot of, you know, reads on a lot of the defensive linemen, um, the, the linebackers, depending on where, if they're overhang or not. Um, where do you see Florida State being able to have success against the way Pitt uh, does run fits, where they cover the run game, all those sort of things? Yeah, so they, they tend to cover the the outside run really well because um, those safeties are already situated out there. And um, so uh, there's if you want to be successful running the ball against them, you're going to have to threaten the outside but attack the inside. So keep those safeties out there, make the linebackers fly out of the box. And, and the way you do that is uh, you, you do some jet action. You don't have to necessarily run jet, but jet action, then inside zone back inside, or you, or you run something that looks like triple option, but, but might not necessarily be just to get those linebackers and safeties to kind of cheat outside and it'll, it'll thin out the box a little bit. So I would imagine just based on on the way that you normally would play quarters with a running quarterback, you're going to see probably a couple little a couple couple um, inside shovels as well. Yeah, that that would be that would be a good way to to really challenge that challenge the outside while attacking the inside. Yeah, you start building some of those those plays off each other. Um, we're missing the Delawarrier Al, uh, Adam Brown, who obviously <laughs> talks about series football within the context of Wang T. But when you're when you're a running base team, obviously you have to basically build plays piece by piece, series by series, yeah. and sort of build counters to each play. Um, and I think with Jordan Travis, we've seen that a lot this year um, since moving to sort of their their modern triple option that they've had um where do you see florida state trying to attack the most uh they're going to try to run the ball and they're going to try to run it effectively and um it really depends on how healthy jordan travis is i think i think i wouldn't be surprised to see them uh do do stuff like the the shovel shovel read option or uh, something like that. But at, at the end of the day, I think you're gonna see them go back to what they like to go back to, which is do unbalanced sets, try to get a, a man advantage, try to try to get uh, easier blocking angles for the for the line, and then run the ball. 
I mean, it makes sense. I mean, this is a team that obviously is a very good – Pittsburgh is very good at defending the outside run. Um, you know, you've seen Florida State have a lot of success with the toss read. Um, I think that's probably not going to be as common in this game. Or if it is, it's going to be used to set up stuff like the shovel or, uh, you know, runs back inside, that sort of thing. Um, what do you think are – some of the key concepts that Florida State can run against this defense to try to put them off balance. Um, yeah, counters and um, counters and zones. Uh, I, I think that you're going to see a lot of play action be successful. Um, hopefully you see a little bit more RPOs than, than Norvell normally likes to run. I, I think that they can be relatively successful against this kind of defense. Um but I, I also think that they, it's the 21st century, it's 2020, they, they know how to defend RPOs relatively well. But I, I think that it, it, it can be a little bit of a tendency breaker for Norvell to go to it at, at this point in time. Um, but, but really, I think they're just going to have to try to run the ball. I think they're going to do a little bit more read options than normal. And I honestly wouldn't be surprised if you see Chubba Purdy get worked in every once in a while to try to take the top off the defense. Yeah, I think Chubba obviously has that ability. Um, he was clearly let down by the receivers in the Louisville game. Um, I think of his nine pass attempts, five were considered officially drops when the, the film was reviewed. Um, but when when you're looking at attacking that Pittsburgh defense and you're seeing what Florida State does well, how much and what sort of football concepts do you think would be best for attacking inside? Cause we've talked a little bit about um, the shovel. Obviously we've talked some of, of the, the outside type type concepts, the wide high lows, like the, the smash, um, the flood, the, you know, the running quarterback, the toss read. Um, what should they do inside, especially cause you're going to, you know, have, have those two safeties on the inside flowing towards the ball. Yeah, I mean, uh, they they run a four three. So uh, when they when you run an even front, it opens you up to things like the the shotgun midline, which is what I call it. Some people call it uh, just just a different variation of the the zone read or read option, whatever whatever you want to call it. There's a million names for it. Um, it's new enough that it doesn't really have an official name. Um, so you can either run that, which kind of takes an inside defensive lineman. Um, out of the equation, which is nice for Florida State, seeing as our, our interior offensive line has struggled at times this year. Um, but I, I think you just run a lot of inside zones with like screen actions to draw the safeties away. And you have to hope that you can win versus an even box, versus a box that has even numbers as you have. And obviously one of the keys to doing all of what you're talking about is having success against their front. Um, Pittsburgh obviously has, has Weaver, who's quite a good player. Um, who else along that defensive line is, 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 is really a notable game change, not necessarily game changing, but important player that Florida state fans need to need to look at. So uh, I would say that their second best defensive lineman is probably um, Kalijah Kansi, I think that's how it's, his name is pronounced. I've only seen it spelled, really. Um, well, we're going to cancel you for that. 
Uh, but no, the, their whole defensive line are, are is solid players, and their and their linebackers behind them uh, do a really good job. So it's going to be hard to move the ball. It's it don't be don't be discouraged when this game comes down to a to a low scoring battle. Well, it's a good transition. I think um, you know we've we've established pretty well that they do a really good job on defense. They're very talented in terms of uh, certain parts of the ball. They they're going to be difficult to you know you're not going to you're not going to probably see as many big plays as you see Florida State go for um, successfully. That is, um, and on the the other side of the ball. Uh, they're not the most innovative. So uh, um, uh, uh, it it seems to be a relatively even matchup overall. What are your general thoughts on the matchup? How do you predict the game going and how do you think it's going to turn out? Uh, So basically this is a all encompassing. How's it going to work? What's the prediction? Yeah. So I I think this is going to be a relatively defensive game, um, which is crazy seeing as we just gave up like seven, thousand points to louisville um it was six thousand nine hundred actually oh okay sorry i was rounding um (laughs) (laughs) so uh it's gonna be more of a defensive game we've been hearing pickets out that's a huge win for florida state if jordan travis is back and 100 percent healthy like we've been told he is i think florida state wins this game um i honestly think it will come down to whoever's quarterback is healthier at the time the game starts, will de- will really go a long way in determining who wins the game. Um, and right now, it's looking to be Florida State. So I think there's a slight edge there. So, final prediction. I think Florida State wins it twenty four seventeen. All right, twenty four seventeen. Florida State. You heard it here first. Lock of the week. Uh, the Kevin Little Lock of the Week. Uh, check out Kevin Little, his X's and Knowles YouTube channel. He's going to be putting a, a video out. It'll be on the Tomahawk Nation website as well. Um, and make sure you follow him on Twitter at X's and Knowles. And you see him on the Triple Option every week. And Kevin, we really appreciate it. No, thanks for having me, Juan. Thank you again to Kevin Little. He does a really good job on his X's and Knowles YouTube channel as well as X's and Knowles on Twitter. Feel free to check him out on those mediums. Also check him out on TomahawkNation.com. He does a really good job with the triple option and four vertical segments on our website. So now we have Tomahawk Nation contributor and press conference maestro, Austin Cox. Here's Austin. How you doing, Austin? Oh, I'm doing great. I'm happy to be on and talk about what we saw this week from the press conferences. Awesome. Let's jump right into it. On Monday, you guys had Coach Norvell, Coach Dillingham, and and, uh, Jordan Travis. So let's start with Coach Norvell. What did he say about the game coming up against Pittsburgh? Definitely. Well, we had a little bit of a shorter week this week with uh, the election week. So we just uh, had Monday and Wednesday. Normally, we do have three days. So just the two this week. But um, had Norvell uh, talked a little bit about Pittsburgh and how they kind of have a traditional defense. They're going to allow a lot of one-on-one opportunities possibly for the wideouts uh, and their and Pittsburgh's man coverage. Um, he also talked about how Jordan Travis has done a good job taking care of his body. Um, he has been a little bit banged up, but he talked about how he's progressed well in practice and how he's taking it upon himself to really 
make sure that he's doing everything he can and is po- that's possible to make sure that he's ready each Saturday. Um, he talked a little bit about how the NCAA uh, mandate that Tuesdays are off for the election day and the importance of voting for the players. Um, and then uh, Perry did get a little question in there on Monday asking him about the tattoos, uh, the tattoo that uh, the fan got of him after the North Carolina win. So it was good to hear him joke a little bit on that. Um, but, yeah, and then probably the biggest noteworthy thing he did say was uh, spoke a little bit about uh, – redshirt junior whiteout uh, tomorrow on Terry's status. Um, he said that he's done a really great job of his rehab the past few weeks and that he's continuing to push and that he's going to be a game time decision. So that's obviously going to be a huge storyline uh, heading into Saturday against Pittsburgh. Well, I'm sure that if we're, if Florida state's able to have tomorrow and Terry available, that's obviously that's a huge thing for Florida state. Um, and the guy who will be call, uh, helping call the plays is Kenny Dillingham. Um, did he have much of note to say on Monday? Yeah, he did. Um, he kind of expanded a little bit about uh, what Norvell was saying about the Pittsburgh's defense, and they spoke a lot about a lot about that. Um, he said that just kind of reiterating that how the way they are more traditional, uh, it's kind of an old school type of defense. You're, you're gonna you're gonna see some opportunities downfield with their one on one coverage, and he also talked about how if they can get Terry back what the how much that's going to help them possibly in those situations and he actually talked for a few minutes on the question I asked him about Terry and getting him back and what that's going to do and he said that's really something that you can build your entire game plan around possibly is if, if you have you know we have or Florida State has one of the best deep threats possibly uh, you know the past couple of years and Terry and that you know he can really break a game open with getting downfield in there on on that one-on-one coverage. So that's going to be a huge factor Saturday against Pittsburgh, and you know it'll be interesting to see if he is able to go. Yeah, I mean, obviously he is at a, as a game time decision. That's a guy that if I was uh, if I was writing a sports book line for for uh, any any Vegas sports book, I'd be watching his health quite carefully. Um, so going back to one of the most important things on on this segment, the tattoo. Are you going to be getting a Mike Norvell cornrows tattoo yourself? <laughs> well, you know, I really consider it after North Carolina wins the way they play. No, I'm just kidding. That is definitely not going to be something. I am not much of a tattoo guy, but, uh, you know, big props to that fan that did do it. Uh like Norvell said, he's gonna he's gonna have a story for the rest of his life with that one. <laughs> That's right. I'll, I'll tell you what. It takes some stones to to actually follow up on on a threat like that. So, all all power to that guy for doing that. Uh, Jordan Travis was obviously available for for the press conference that day as well. What did what did Jordan have to say? Yeah, well, Jordan, you know he's he's kind of a man of few words. Um, you know, I don't want to say he he gives a little coach speak, but it's really more. You know, it's almost impressive, really, when you see a, a you know, a, a guy in college be able to kind of handle a press conference that way. Um, you know, he he reiterated he he likes to say each week that it's a big focus for them to kind of focus on themselves and not as much on the opponent. Um, and then, you know, the big question with him is uh, how healthy is he coming out of the bye week? And he had some very good things to say about that. He said he's you know virtually 100. Um, he feels great. Um, 
So really, that was all we really heard from him. Uh, he did have some good things to say about the offensive line. He said they they worked their butt off each and every week. So it was good to hear him about talk about that. And uh, he he also one thing I'll add about that he had a great answer when we asked him about the receivers uh, having some drops against Louisville. He was very uh, mature in his answer on that. He he kind of reiterated that it wasn't just about that. That wasn't the only mistake they made against Louisville wasn't the only problem the team had so he kind of let it be known that it's not all about just a few drops that the receivers had there was a lot more play that went wrong in that Louisville game oh yeah you can tell that, that there's a reason a lot of the guys around the team play well around him he's clearly a, a leader of the team and they appreciate the way that he he works in in the field on practice and and on the field during the game so it's good to see that working um, on, no on Wednesday it. there. You guys had coach Norvell again, had coach, uh, coach Fuller, Travis J and Brendan Gant. So let's start with the coaches. Um, you know, coach Norvell, I can't, I would imagine most of those were injury type updates. Um, and it, it let's, you know, in your answer, let me know what you think, what, what, what about what both the coaches said, both, uh, Norvell and also Coach Fuller. What are they? What were their general thoughts? Yeah, definitely. Well, it probably the biggest uh, moment was when Norvell was asked about uh, senior safety Hanson Nasraldeen and also uh, going back to Terry and his status. He said that they both practiced on Wednesday, um, and he was asked. He's actually Gallo Okoy. Uh, I think it was uh, Aslan Hajavandi asked him on a scale of one to five. You know how confident he was that they might be available. And he said somewhere between one and five. So, you know, <laughs> we'll see what happens with that. Um, I'm not sure what, what we'll see with, if we'll see Hamsa, um, but definitely with Terry, you know, coming, coming off the surgery uh, might be a, a little bit more likely. Um, yeah. So on that same note, like the chances of me having a second beer tonight are between one and five on a scale from one to five. <laughs> that's, that's as good of a coach speak non-answer as you can give. Uh, how about Adam Fuller? Did he expand upon much? Yeah, well he did. He, um, he kind of discussed Pittsburgh and, and the big question with their offense, of course, heading into the game is will uh, Kenny Pickett uh, be ready to go? Um, I know that uh, a couple of their backups struggled a little bit. Uh, two weeks ago against Notre Dame, they couldn't really get much going. I think they were held to three points, and uh, their backup through tossed three interceptions. So, you know, it's definitely going to be huge to see if Pickett will be able to go Saturday. Um, but he did say that it's not it's not just about the quarterback and what will what will change what they do schematically. It could that could happen if there's a running back out, if there's a wide out, or or any position is uh, banged up on the opposing team's offense. That could change what they do defensively. And then he also talked a little, little bit about you know what they did during the bye week. I know last week we heard uh, Coach Dillingham going back to the offense. He said that they didn't really uh, install anything new offensively. So we asked him about they asked him about the defense and to you know today a fuller. Uh, has this installed anything differently? And he said that he kind of said the same thing that Dillingham said, that they really haven't uh, changed much. Um, they're kind of focusing on improving their base uh, defense. So, and then he uh, had some great things to say about Brendan Gann as well. 
Well, but you heard from Brandon Gant and Travis J. So obviously, those are two young guys who are performing pretty solidly this year. Uh, how how were they? How were they feeling going into the game? What were the general talks that you guys had with them? Well, that's right. You know, defensive back really is an interesting position coming off of the Louisville game. You know, we, we have seen some guys struggle a little bit. Um, with Brandon Gay and Travis Jay, though, you know, it hasn't really been them that, has, that have been in the game as much. So it'll be interesting to see if they could possibly get a little bit more playing time. But I know Brandon Gay, he talked a little bit about uh, coming off the injury he had uh, during the summer and how he was really kind of behind a little bit or really a, you know, a significant amount. Uh, from the rest of the team, he was kind of out for two or three months there, um, and you know that was that was compounded by they were already behind with what had happened with COVID. So you know he's kind of just getting back to where he's uh, feeling comfortable, and then going over to Travis J. You know he's also was dealing with an injury as well. So you know you're looking at both guys are kind of coming off injuries, um, but Travis J. spoke a little bit about. Hamsa Nasraldeen, and even though Hamsa has been out, he said that uh, he's been he's done a great job as a, a senior leader, and he kind of echoed that he's you know really just helped out the rest of the defensive backs, and even though that he hasn't been able to help them on the field, that he's helped them a lot off the field. It's always good to see you know some of your upperclassmen you know even when they're injured helping out the younger guys. I mean that usually speaks to a good team culture and. Hamza Dean definitely seems like a player from everything we hear inside the program and outside that he's going to help those guys out. So let's lighten it up a little bit. What has been some of the most interesting or fun parts about covering the team this year? And, and obviously this has been a particularly weird year, but covering the team, what's been, you know, even across, even across the TV screen on the zoom, what's been some of the most interesting stuff you've, you've had and come across. Oh, well, it's been great. I mean, I, I really love working here at Tomahawk Nation. One of the things I think is so special is that we have such a, you know, kind of a ensemble staff, but really everyone is just really dedicated. And, and you, you see that uh, just everyone kind of brings the passion that, you know, a lot of other sites kind of have a little bit of more of a smaller, cohesive staff. But I think we really work well together. And, and you know, I've uh, – just love being a part of it. Just love seeing everyone kind of grow and everyone get better. Um, I know for me personally, you know, I'm just coming out of college, so I'm just really trying to make my name in this uh, business. And, you know, I think Tomahawk Nation is I'm – just, I'm just really grateful for the opportunity that they've given me. Well, we've we've really enjoyed having you at Tomahawk Nation, and I really appreciate the updates you've given us this week. And I think the way you put it is really good. Um, you know, we're an ensemble group here. Uh, we just I just finished up a conversation with Kevin talking about scheme and the Pittsburgh game coming up. And you know, like you said, we're a good ensemble group. It's like an Ocean's Eleven sort of thing. If there's a casino that needs to be robbed in Tallahassee, I think Tomahawk Nation are the guys you want to have behind it. <laughs> So, uh, Austin, I really appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on. Hey, thank you, Juan. Thank you again to Austin Cox. Check him out on Twitter at, at Austin, the letter R, Cox12. We really enjoyed our time with him as well as we enjoyed our time with Kevin Little. Check him out at, at X's and Knowles on YouTube, on Twitter. We really had a great episode for you guys tonight. We appreciate you listening to us. Thanks again, and that's a wrap. Oh,
Oh, my God.